0: You're listening to a new episode of Marvel's Bullist, and I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Tucker Marcus. As you may have heard in the last couple of weeks, we've been going through Marvel Unlimited, picking some cool stories, some stuff that we want to get into as fans, as people who, you know, normally just read through comics and talk about what we liked and basically try to get you, the listeners, to read them with us. And so, Tucker, this episode is kind of fun because it spun out of an idea that you had and a thing you're working on for the website.
1: Yeah, that's right. Blair Marnell, who's one of our writers for Marvel.com, and I put together a piece called The Most Underrated Marvel Comic of the 1980s. And that was just an angle that we kind of came up with together. Uh, and it focuses on a series called Marvel Fanfare. It started in 1982 and I believe ran through 1992. And uh, it's a, a really cool, a really unique collection of one-shot issues, one-shot stories, kind of single story arcs that uh, a bunch of Marvel creators jumped in on. And from the conversations that I was having with Blair and from what I've learned just in the short amount of time, I mean, I I knew about Marvel Fanfare as as a title, but I didn't know too much of the context of it. But it all came from the mind of editor Al Milgram, who kind of put this together. He was in charge of casting the talent and he would bring everyone on board. And it was quite an accomplishment, I think, to have your work in Marvel Fanfare because it was this prestige series and it was kind of published a little differently there's a bunch of really really fascinating i think kind of historical angles to it given what we're going to talk about today we're going to talk about a single story arc in marvel fanfare but it's really fun because we started this kind of reading club uh talking about uh infinity gauntlet and then we went to war the realms and then last week we talked about uh, with Tom Brevort about Civil War. So we're already coming a little bit full circle here, given the creative team and a specific creator uh, on that we're going to be talking about today. And it kind of interestingly reframed a lot of the conversations that you and I, Ryan, were having about Infinity Gauntlet. But we'll get into that more a little bit later um yeah that is kind of where this this episode kind of came from
0: yeah this was great because you came to me it was like hey does this make sense if we Mm -hmm. talk about marvel fanfare like this and i was like yeah because you know when i think of marvel fanfare i think of like oh man those were those were cool issues but they were mostly like the bulk of the series was done before i really started to get into comics and it had like beautiful covers they were cool cardstock, like the the paper stock was better the it was like higher quality everything i was doing some research to see like the first issue came out the very end of 1981 december of 1981 um and it has a cover that i will always remember it's sauron i i think it's a pterodactyl not sauron but i always think of sauron in my brain because he's looks like a friggin' pterodactyl and no, um i
1: i think it, it and maybe is. it is
0: sauron right it is it is it is it is, okay. it is. but it, it's <laughs> weird because sauron usually has a loincloth and the cover <laughs> he, there's no loin so it's like full flapping yeah. in the breeze sauron which i'm all about and he's holding spider-man and angels there. It's a beautiful cover and i remember seeing that a lot as a kid and then i was looking at the time so december of 81 a standard marvel comic was probably about 60 cents and then Marvel Fanfare was a buck twenty-five, which you're like, oh, wow. yeah, buck twenty-five. Give me all the comics for that. Like when I started really getting into comics, that was like a dollar twenty-five was a comic. So if you had five bucks, you were getting four issues. But looking at it, it was like they think about it, it's double the cost of any other comic that you read. Like you pick up Avengers, where well, you can get Avengers and Captain America, or you can get Marvel Fanfare and so you just you think about it in those terms they like put a lot into it and al milgram you know he's done pretty much everything in comics as the editor like it's a passion project in a really interesting way and it supported for i didn't even realize that it went on for that long that's so cool um it's it did like 60 yeah 60 issues across that span it has some really great like stories in it and 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 stuff but like the idea that it would like focus on amazing creators who maybe weren't going to do a book like a main series monthly at this time or whatever it was so like there's um a lot of charles vess artwork in this run um charles vess is a beautiful uh artist he did I believe Stardust with Neil Gaiman for another company. Um, But that's a beautiful, beautiful book. There's the issue after this one that we're like the storyline that we're going to talk about is a Barry Windsor Smith drawn Ben Grimm story. And it's incredible. It's like that could be the discussion topic for a whole podcast, you know, Um, because how many Barry Windsor Smith comics do we have at Marvel? Like literally it's probably like 30. And so like the idea of Marvel fanfare is really cool to me. Looking back on it, I think if you talk to someone who was collecting comics at the time, like if we had Tom Brevort on, he would be like, yeah, Marvel Fanfare was cool. Like stories were hit like this or that. Like he would have a really of the time opinion. But you pull out into 2020. It is really an underrated series. It is so almost like you're just discovering hidden gems going back at it. And we only have 26 or so of the issues on Marvel Unlimited. So you know, there's a bunch that I've never read from this run. And I think people being able to dig into some of these now is going to be super, super cool to get into what Marvel Fanfare is.
1: Yeah. In the article that uh, Blair wrote, he focused on eight one-off issues or kind of story arcs. I think he went through and read every single one that was on Marvel Unlimited and picked kind of eight of his favorites, eight that hit the hardest. There's that Kind of first opening story arc that you mentioned. There's a great Scarlet Witch story in there. There is a great Hulk story. Like you said, that Thing story is so excellent. There's a really cool Cloak and Dagger one. There's a bunch in here, and one of those, one of those that that Blair highlighted, is the story that we're going to talk about today, which kicks off in Marvel Fanfare number ten, which is a Black Widow story.
0: Yeah, it's uh, written by Ralph Macchio. Uh, Ralph. 30 plus 39 some obscene number of years working at marvel as everything from an editor to a writer and assistant and he's done everything it's it's incredible and the artist on this and like you know all credit to ralph but the artist on here is like that's the spotlight for this right it's george perez this is a four-part story about black widow drawn by george perez And the interesting part about this is, you know, we've talked about George Perez, as you mentioned, we talked about George Perez as the artist for Infinity Gauntlet. That was 1991. But this issue, these issues, these four issues of Marvel Fanfare 10 through 13, they came out in like a 10 year stretch where George Perez was almost exclusively working for DC. He had a couple of Like little one-off things he would do for smaller companies like Pacifico or other companies. There's a Bizarre Adventure story, I think, he does for us in like a couple years or a year or two before this. But these four issues released in 1983 are the last things George does for Marvel until coming back for Infinity
1: Gauntlet in 1991. And that's that's a stunning fact. Right? I, I, I love that so much. And, you know, we picked this this story arc, on its own merits because it's excellent, it's so cool, but knowing that fact kind of elevates it even further because it it, like I mentioned before, and I'm sure we'll talk about this a ton as we go through the issues, that it really reframed everything I thought I knew about George's work on Infinity Gauntlet. And that's everything from the way he draws a face to the influences in terms of genre uh, that went into Infinity Gauntlet or so it seems. I also certainly don't want to discount the years of experience and everything that he brought into Infinity Gauntlet in between this story and Infinity Gauntlet. But just to see those seeds in here is so fascinating. And like we said, this is a story worth digging into on its own merits And then in an entirely other way, it's worth digging into just as a case study of like George Perez doing Marvel characters, working at the House of Ideas in that tone, in that style, in this last story before, you know, one of the biggest comics of all time.
0: This run of fanfare that George does is almost like the middle part of his Marvel career. It's almost like the hinge. So you have the 70s where he does so much Marvel work. That's like this A chunk of it he does deadly hands of kung fu he's doing creature stories science fiction stories power Man and humans fantastic four really landmark runs on avengers um actually multiple runs on avengers logan's run fantastic four all this stuff and then it slows down he goes to dc has some of the greatest work in comics uh, and pretty much contemporary to the rise of uncanny x-men with new teen titans but you know he goes and then he comes back and it's you know this little hinge and then eight more years later it's infinity gauntlet and then even after that is little dribs and drabs and then it's like this beautiful final like sweep away everybody else the king is back avengers run where he does he pencils like 20 odd issues and it's basically like drops the mic can walk away as one of the greatest comic artists that marvel's ever seen it's fascinating he's so freaking good man
1: literally when we open up page one of the first issue, like I'm already there, you know, I'm already like, Oh, Oh, right. Oh, right. It's George Perez. Yeah.
0: What a, what a legend. Like most of the things that I love about this are because George is really smart about his his storytelling. You know, as you go through, it's, this is a spy story. Uh, I think framing it that way, there's, um, There's a collection and I will give credit to producer Jorge who corrected me. I thought this book had never been collected before um, because I always thought it was like such a kind of obscure story because it was in Marvel Fanfare, which is so far off normal comics releases, but it had been collected probably like four or five years ago. And so in the collection, there's a great forward from, I guess, a previous collection. And he's just saying that like finally i got a chance to work with george perez this is great we wanted to do a spy story and you know it was it was super cool and it's like he, he throws mentions of james bond and and different characters and you know he said quote having a story and fanfare was really something to bust your buttons about and we intended to make the most of the opportunity tucker i've never heard the phrase <laughs> bust your buttons but i friggin love it it's so good yeah. I'm going to
1: steal that. I'm putting that in a, in an article soon. You I'm have to. That. Yeah.
0: So Ralph says, George Perez and I envisioned a story that would be a white knuckle cloak and dagger first class thriller showcasing the many facets of Ms. Romanoff's fascinating personality. And they wanted to make it personal. They talk about Ivan Petrovich. And, you know, it's really cool because we've seen a lot about, you know, the new Marvel Studios Black Widow movie and, and, and talk of that. But there's a character named Melina in this story. There's... Alexi, the Red Guardian, is in this story. There's really cool ties to the broader Black Widow tapestry, especially as you get into um we'll get into further down the down the as we talk about this, like the main villain of the piece, where there's like two kind of main villains and how they stretch out into Widow's um sort of history and then after the story into her future. Um it's really, really cool, really fascinating stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I. I'm curious Ryan, do you have a good gauge of where Black Widow the character was at this point in time? Because obviously we have our own like modern day connotations, but in 19 at the like you said at the end of 1981, what was the what was the kind of broader like understanding of this character?
0: I'm trying to put pieces together. Like I think of Black Widow in the gray costume, that's probably the mid 80s probably like a little bit after this this is after her run with daredevil in san francisco which actually ties into Mm. this story really really intrinsically um i don't remember where she was Uh, and they even frame it up at one point in this story where they say this is before the current you know look and costume for her this is her just sort of being a free agent working for Shield, so she's sort of in a nebulous place. Yeah. She's not on the Avengers necessarily at this point. Um, where then, in the mid midish, lateish '80s, she becomes once again a much more important part of the Avengers storylines. Has that like real short haircut uh, that I will. Like vividly remember from my youth because that was that was her look when I started getting into comics I was like okay Black Widow she has short hair and she wears a great costume good that's who she is <laughs> I like you know because I was an Avengers comic book reader as a kid right. so it was just like she was just on the periphery for me
1: well I do love the the kind of in between space that they place Black Widow in this story because that's one of the most fascinating elements of this character's history is her debut, and was it Tales of Suspense 168? No, that
0: can't be right. Uh, Jorge is throwing <laughs> throwing chat updates, and he says it's 52. I was going to say 63, oh so I was closer.
1: Oh, God. <laughs> Not even close. I mean, uh, okay, Price is Right rules. like uh, uh, I guess uh, <laughs> we claim both claim we're lose. going by that, and we're both wrong. So, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, but my point being, I love the in-between space that they they cast this character in because to dig back into the past and to find a story where she was distinctly this, like you said, this free agent where she was kind of uh, looking out for herself as much as anybody else – Um, no like distinct team uh kind of responsibilities. She's not wrapped up in any of that kind of bigger, broader superhero stuff. I love that because it allows for a story like this. It allows for a cool spy mission, it allows for this kind of cloak and dagger type story, um, which then itself can become so many things. It can be noir, it can be James Bond, it can be really gritty and dark, but it can be, you know, a superhero story at the same time. It's really, really cool. And so I think just like this... This is such a sweet time in this character's history. Yeah.
0: I also want to say, before we get even deeper into this, if you are about to read this, either after we talk about it or you pause the podcast or whatever, or you've just read it, we do want to say, yes, this story is gorgeous, and it's bonkers, and we love getting back into it. But there are definitely some outdated cultural depictions in this book. There's lots of smoking. There are a lot of things just generally commonplace in comics of the early 1980s, no matter the, the publisher or the company and stuff that we are not endorsing or that we see in modern comics so there's probably some cultural shock if you are a modern comics reader who's never read comics of the 80s this is 1983 or 82 83 just keep that in mind as you read it yeah all right let's let's start digging into it um because issue 10 has just a sequence that i friggin love where widow beats the ever-loving snot out of a bunch of shield agents who are just there to test her and fury is like look bro you want to do this you want to test the baddest ass woman in the world go for it it's not going to end well it's like this setup and this other shield guy is like well i know what's best and she needs we need to figure out if she's any good and you get Widow, she's just like taking a bath, she's in her penthouse, she's like ah, finally, I'm somewhere safe and secure, nobody's gonna hurt me. And then she's like, I hear something. And then, you know, like she figures out what's going on, these shield agents in like full like armor and blasters. She turns out the lights, just beats the crap out of all of them, and manages to change into her gear in the middle of the fight, and... Turns the lights on, holding the limp body of one of the dudes who she shot in the face through his helmet, left she basically oh. killed him, and her hair is still dripping wet. And it's one of my favorite pages.
1: It's just like, yeah, damn straight. Like I said, immediately as we get into it, First of all, it's such a cool like entry point for this story in general and for, you know, like a reader to to be introduced to the character in terms of what this story is doing. But in terms of the George Perez side of everything, it's that thing where timely reference of the time, I guess I think of the kind of tavern fight scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark in terms of the staging of it, in terms of the blocking, in terms of where the characters are and where the camera is at all times. And it's this chaotic scene uh, where so much is going on. There's probably a dozen different characters in there just like this. There's so many people in this story, but you never lose sight or this conscious knowledge of where you are in all of the action at any time. And that is some of the subtle brilliance of George Perez, where you get bam, 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 these quick little kind of looks in these different panels of a close-up of the side of one of these guys' faces, and then kind of you you spin around and you see them turn. Something you're not even thinking about as you're reading, but if you stop for a moment and study it, it's really amazing to see that thing, which... I'm sure is just intrinsic to the way that he does things, you know, and, and that alone is some of my favorite stuff to analyze is just that character blocking.
0: Yeah. Uh, the th- the thing about this story too. And, and I think what works really well is widow is kind of constantly in mortal danger because she is just a human, you know, in a world of superpowers. And even though most of the characters here, I don't think they have any necessary super superpowered abilities except for maybe red guardian who shows up they just have weapons and they're outlandish and they're kind of special but the idea that black widow is just a person who is faced with pretty much seemingly insurmountable odds at every turn and she is so smart and resourceful and capable and uh strong to overwhelm and overcome them she's constantly underestimated and she uses that to her advantage like i I love that aspect about her i love that aspect of that story that we see here like there's you know part of this after she like beats the crap out of all these dudes it becomes too much there's other forces at play and she gets chased off a building she suffers a concussion in like mid-air she's like has to go 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 that feeling of tense she could die at any moment is palpable in this story and in in some of the like the great black widow
1: stories. Yeah, completely. The way it transitions from this interior really close kind of like knife fight in a phone booth fight scene to this bigger like more sprawling like buildings getting blown up, jumping across the cityscape, like all of those things, it moves so smoothly. And, and peppered in there, we get these really, really beautiful moments, and this is where we're getting in, for me, to the Infinity Gauntlet side of it all, where you get these cool little asides, these little character moments that are maybe cast more in black and white than in kind of the full spectrum of color that the main story is going in. You get these little moments that are just little character beats, they're little insights into characters' minds, into their perspectives which I love, and it's that side of things that really kind of were like a whole kind of reframing for me of like, wow, I can see so many beats from Infinity Gauntlet in here. It's so cool. Yeah, there's a page
0: in particular I think of later in the, I think it might be the last issue or the second to last issue of this, where he has two tall, thin panels framing the page, and they're of side Views of characters, their faces, they're looking at each other and they're like talking with other story beats and other panels in the middle. And that's just like, it seems so simple, but it's so when it's done well, which George Perez does it so well, it's, it pays off huge. The first issue also, which I think is, is important if you are, you know, a Black Widow fan, maybe, you know, Black Widow from the MCU or recent comics. Um, This does a lot of work to give her backstory, her history, her origin at least of, of the time, you know, a lot of stuff sort of shifts and changes as we go through as sort of stuff is figured out. Um, but it's really cool to see who Black Widow was at this time, because it also reminds us that originally Black Widow was a child during World War II. Uh, and she gets like a formula that extends her life, but that's a like a really sort of nebulous thing. Like I remember, there's an uncanny X Men issue that Jim Lee pencils. I think it's like two sixty seven, um, where it's the cover is Captain America, Black Widow, and Wolverine on the cover. It's like one of the most famous Marvel covers. And that's not what they look like in the story, because Wolverine, it's like before, it's when he was Logan, he was working for like the Canadian Army and Captain America is on a mission. But Black Widow is like a little girl there. And it's, it's a really fascinating story. A little bit of that is touched on in here. Uh, a lot of that has shifted and changed, I think, over years. But it's still a pretty cool snapshot into her history at the time. Yeah, completely. We go into issue 11, the second part of this. And then one of the notes that I had was like, Okay. George Perez is like, all right, he reads the script. I'm assuming Ralph says, like, "Uh, bad guy points pistol at Black Widow, yada, yada, yada. And George goes, a pistol? Screw that. I'm going to draw the most elaborate like tiny little gun that has uh, like this curved part on top. It looks like almost like an alien blaster. And it's this really cool sci-fi meets (laughs) spy weapon because I can, because I'm George
1: Perez. It's so awesome. It is really insane. Like we're starting off at a fever pitch in issue 10. As you flip through the pages of issue 11, maybe I'm just projecting here, but It feels like you can feel it like being ramped up even further you know the 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 vistas of some of these fight scenes are so incredible and just the like you said the level of detail that's going into every single panel even if that's just taking up overall a tenth of the page if that is so incredible we could go we could literally go you know like punch for punch uh, no pun intended and like hit every single one of these panels and talk about all of the work that is being done. And it adds up. That's the thing. It really adds up. And it, and it tells such, such a, a, a distinct story.
0: What I love about this issue in particular, the second part here is it starts to really go into like old school James Bond. And yeah. I have, I'll be honest. I don't, I'm not a like James Bond guy. My, um, growing up we didn't like it wasn't part of my childhood watching movies so i've only gotten into like the recent james bond movies going to see them with my wife my wife is a huge james bond fan like she would watch them religiously as a kid and so we started watching them like these are wild these are like absolutely bananas and i was also like oh now i understand austin powers because I never watched the old James Bond. <laughs> I'd watched Austin Powers, and I was like, oh, Austin Powers is straight just taking from these old James Bond movies. And then reading this, I was like, "Like, there's this scene in a submarine, this spread, this double-page spread that George does in this, and I was like, this is like, I don't know, moon pucker or whatever, like Moonraker.'" <laughs> moonraker i think that's the one yeah yeah that's it i think that one like the feeling of like this science weird big bad guy extravagant like all this stuff coming together colorful like um minions and villains on his squad i freaking loved it and then we're introduced in in this part to the like these six assassins who are just like Come on, what is even happening here? It's bonkers. Yeah,
1: it's an Empire Strikes Back level moment of like grab bag of weirdness and just like how do we make these characters look really distinct and awesome and then like everything else will come later, which I love.
0: To be fair, this is stuff that kind of ties into what we've said before. There's like cultural depictions and stereotypes here that I, I, I like was taken aback by as I was rereading yeah. this. Uh, you know, there's like... Um, you know the Black Lotus, and I was like, "Oh man, come on!" But the, the most important one here, you know, get out of the way, Deadshot, Durrance, the the fake craven who I, I, I cracked yeah. up at. But the Iron Maiden is awesome. She's a super cool. She's in this full metal costume. The look is incredible. Like it, she looks yeah. awesome. She looks badass. Most importantly, she is Melina um a character part of black widow's story and she becomes really interesting into the the greater mythos of who black widow is
1: yeah it's like the destroyer armor meets dr doom meets madam mask uh yes yeah
0: yeah yeah it's a design that was like yep that's great i wish we saw more of her um she's really cool So the the second part has introduced us to those six assassins. The next part, the third part, which is issue 12 of Marvel Fanfare, gets us into the big battle. And like the dialogue and the stereotypes are just like pop, 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 popping off. It is intense. But the battle, like what you were talking about before, what we were both talking about before, Black Widow tied up, and she still is... So fierce and awesome.
1: Yeah. You know, funny enough, that's like, uh, you know, we mentioned the uh, people getting to know this character via Marvel Marvel Studios films, and, and that is kind of an iconic beat for that version of the character that so many, you know, that we all know and love. And so it's really cool to have uh, this kind of moment dug deep in the past where we get to see this scene. I, I, I Again, it's one of those things where you can feel... The constraints and I mean that literally I mean that in terms of like you can really feel the character like like straining and pushing and you know kind of leaping across the room in this like a very unusual way because you know she's been tied up she's been taken you know hostage but also by constraints I mean you know like the way that the story demanded this scene be told visually and uh to see you know just like outlined there and say this is the sandbox that we're going to play in right now this is how the scene is going to go this is how the scene is going to get beat it out and then to see that unfold uh is so cool it just it feels so organic is the thing it's incredible
0: yeah there's great character beats like widow has been beating the crap out of people she like gets the the cra- the fake craven guy to shoot another one in the face like it's there's brutal parts and then she like she's like okay like you watch the movement as you're saying the choreography of it all and she comes in and she just kicks that guy right in the balls and it's one of my favorite <laughs> moments of the book I was like yeah take that I love that so much uh, and then you get you've got all this action and then that character beat. Where you step back and you, you get the reveal that Iron Maiden is Melina Volstakov, is an important character to who Black Widow is, has this great panel where Iron Maiden is basically like, I gotcha. And Black Widow says, It's been tried before, Melina, by the best, and they've failed, all of them. And so will you, because you're only second rate. And it's like, What? <laughs> it's like that gif of of the 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 dude who's like running past the screen and he's like, ah! Uh, Like where everybody's just get like (laughs) the sick burn. It is like, just if you were, this were on Twitter, it would just be like fire emojis everywhere. It's so good. This issue also brings in Jimmy Woo, who, you know, I love for me. There's like pockets of time where I, you know, don't know a lot about the Marvel universe. So I think of Jimmy Woo as agents of Atlas, early two thousands coming in and like, that but he has so many touch points throughout marvel history and he was used because he was a an agent of shield and kind of perpetually around which i think is great he was nick fury before nick fury and um i love seeing jimmy woo in this book it was cool
1: yeah the sequence when he kind of enters the story and we kind of peel off into another direction after the iron maiden stuff kind of comes to its own little conclusion there and then we enter into you know, we literally enter another space. We literally enter this kind of different chapter um, uh, where we go down this tunnel. They're kind of weaving their way through. And again, it's it's like, like in that first issue where she flicks off the lights. There's just this beautiful kind of depiction of these characters walking through complete darkness and not just in terms of how uh, the characters are essentially penciled, inked, and colored against a black background. But in terms of how the panel layout encourages you to become hyper aware of everything happening around these characters, you know, as if you yourself were in, in total darkness and the rhythm of it more than anything is what's so cool as we uh, go from kind of complete silence back into a fight that we don't really even know you know the source of which is really cool concept
0: yeah it's awesome and those the six panels where she's like where are you I'm just I keep staring at them the way they're done yeah. is, is perfect we introduce another new character into this a character by the name of Snapdragon who's got a bonkers costume it's just what like a costume George is like Oh, she's gonna have like beads over here, and her helmet's gonna look like this. And she's gonna have high heels, and she's gonna have a weapon. And there's gonna be a snake wrapped around this thing, and she's gonna do this. And this and gonna be like, and it's nuts, and I friggin' love it so much. Uh, this is Snapdragon, it's her first appearance. She would end up showing up in some Captain America issues. Uh, she would also show up in a modern story, a Moon Knight series, the one that was by Brian Michael Bendis and Alex Malev, where Moon Knight is he's gone to california one of his personas has become a hollywood producer and he's like got his whole thing with the personalities of captain america spider-man and wolverine it's it's a cool story uh if you've never read that run it's on marvel unlimited but snapdragon shows up in there as well
1: given this character's costume i think a moon knight book is like the perfect place to uh, have her pop up just because of how like absolutely uh, kind of unhinged it is, but it's so cool. And and look, I got to say, the cover for issue 13 is awesome. Dude. It is so good.
0: Uh, we, that's a great point. We should talk about the covers because, the you know, 10 through 13, you have cover by George Perez with Bob Layton, a cover by George Perez, and then this cover by Arthur Adams. And, like, in their prime, these covers are just, like, they should be hung up in the, the Louvre. They rule. <laughs> and this Arthur Adams cover... It rips. It is, I like. I I kept looking at this cover over and over again, being like, "How? What? How?" Because it's you've got Snapdragon. You're looking at Snapdragon, but you see Black Widow's reflection, not just in Snapdragon's like bonkers faceplate, but also in part of her staff. And it's such a small touch. Like he could have moved the staff so it didn't have that, but it adds this extra dimension to it. It is. Man, 1983, Arthur Adams basically is like, he would be flexing on everybody. So good. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Ugh. It's really a study in like, in composition and how your eye moves across the page because you follow up kind of her right arm and then up the staff you see the like flash of widow's face in there and then you go down the left arm and like the snake is just kind of perfectly poised at the reflection then we have this kind of bigger image of like these multiple reflections of the widow coming out it's man it's awesome and that awesomely 80s hair too
0: Oh, yeah, we haven't even talked about <laughs> Widow's hair in this story or Snapdragon's hair, but Widow's hair is, it like, it looks like a wig, and I'm all for it. It's like she's just rocking it. It's this big old poofy hair. It's so good. I love this one. This is so it's so much oh, fun. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the interesting thing, I, I went through a bunch of these fanfare issues. I, I had thought that all the fanfares had a one-page strip by al milgram the editor of the book which is like him cartooning sort of a day in the life or a little bit of comedy slash hey guys i'm al milgram this is what this book is is these things but maybe that was just my my previous thought because some of them do um the issue 13 here does and it's a really fun one because it's it's al milgram being like ah just came back from San Diego Comic-Con. It was great. It was good to hang out with all my friends. Now everything's going to be quiet here at Marvel offices. And it, like the last panel is all the editors arguing. There's two of them boxing. They're like like freaking out, running around. Um, and that sense of like, this is what the Marvel office is. is so fun and so perfect. I, I love these little strips.
1: Yeah, they're so great. They're so great. The
0: other thing, you know, there's a term that was thrown around a lot in the mid 2000s of decompressed storytelling where a lot of writers like Brian Michael Bendis, Mark Miller, other writers that were getting really popular in the early 2000s would like stretch out stories. They would take something that like in the 70s or 80s would have been maybe two issues or three issues, they'd stretch it to six to give a lot of room to breathe, to work on dialogue, to do those things. This issue, the last part of this has this intro title page it's a big splash single image with the title of the story at the top it has the credits at the bottom and it has this like tone setting image and i think you know you don't see a lot of these big splashes i think that would fit into that paradigm but also it's something that was like prevalent in the 80s and 90s uh, and it's something we saw in infinity gauntlet I, i miss these big opening splashes
1: I totally agree. It's, it's it's like opening kind of the, the first page of a book and getting like a movie poster kind of beyond what the cover is. Um, that like exactly like you said, is just about setting tone. You know what I mean? It can do a little bit of like expositional work in terms of where you are, in terms of how the characters are feeling, but it's really just about like punching you in the face with this image and just saying, this is what's happening. This is what you should be feeling. I just love, yeah, I completely agree. I, I think these are awesome.
0: Um, I pulled a bunch of panels from this issue in particular. Cause it just like, I kept getting into it. There's one panel that I love where there's this jerky dude who keeps getting on black widow's case. And he's like saying stupid stuff. Snapdragon is just beating widow up again. And he goes, she comes off like a real cornball, right? Doesn't matter. She still whipped your butt. And widow goes, you're breathing on my neck and it's just like
1: ah she is pure fire this is my black widow i love that it's it's that thing of like the cooler she is the like scarier she is at the same time you know what i mean because it doesn't take a big response or anything it's just this collected thing and you're just like whoa uh yeah maybe don't mess with her (laughs) it's it's awesome it reminds me of what they did
0: so well with Black Widow in the MCU. Joss Whedon, that scene with Black Widow and Loki. And she's like, she, he's like, Loki's saying all the stuff. And she's like, uh, uh and then she, he gives her what she needs. She goes, thank you for your cooperation. And she bounces. And it's just like,
1: oh, so good. Yeah, I think when you get into it, honestly, it, that panel is perfectly emblematic of who this character is to me. Totally.
0: Uh, we get a big reveal here that Damon Dran is the big bad that's been behind everything. He is the bowfinger. What's the name of the bad guy in uh, in James Bond? Uh, the bad guy? Like the, oh, isn't there like a bad guy oh, in a chair oh. with a cat?
1: <laughs> Thing, it's funny. I'm laughing so hard because I know that you're coming at this through an Austin Powers lens first. And that's right. why that he connected most with you.
0: Like, I think. Yes. Of, all right. yes, I know exactly. G- Goldfinger, Doctor Evil, but what's the real one? Blowfish, Blow, blowhard, Blowfeld, Blowfeld,
1: Blowfeld. Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: yeah, He's the Damon Dran is is that guy? He's the Damon Dran is the Doctor Evil. Okay, let me talk about it in, in terms yeah, that there it I is. understand. That's it. Uh, and Damon Dran is the reveal. And reading it now, you may be going like, "Okay, cool. Who is that?" Aside from having a really gnarly look with the scars on his face and stuff. But what's really interesting was he was a major villain or he was a villain that Black Widow and Daredevil took down during their time in San Francisco. And then he later shows up in the 2014 Black Widow series by Phil Noto and Nathan Edmondson. So what I love is like this is, again, this like hinge storyline, hinge for George Perez, a hinge for Black Widow tying into like A past story tying into a future story tying into our history like it's got all these really interesting threads that that you wouldn't know of uh, at first blanche
1: it's a thing of like perfectly dipping your toe into all of those things in terms of the way that it's plotted and, and written because you get just you get the perfect sense of this broader world um without getting kind of you know you know dragged somewhere else in the story it's just these perfect moments that you can feel all this history for this character, but you know, in classic Marvel style, it is enough for the story, and en- and and even more if you know it's there. But uh, if you're just reading this, it's it's all the more fascinating. Yeah,
0: I, I put a note in here to make sure to point out the old school '80s Shield Helicarrier because I love the look. Like now, we think of the helicarriers from the movies or sort of the sleeker designs of the last you know 10, 20 years but the like 70s and 80s the helicarrier was just like shiny silver plump blimp looking thing with like
1: these yeah, like, like a loaf
0: yeah and with the rotors <laughs> and i love that is my shield helicarrier i'm like it looks so like cozy and sweet to me i miss it yeah you know in part of the whole James Bond spy stuff has one of the grossest panels here where Black Widow has been like beaten. She's in a dungeon and we get this panel of her tearing the skin off of her back and showing like metal underneath her skin. And she says, an extra layer of skin, plastic skin to be exact, molded onto my body by shield, technos, hiding a weapon underneath, one that can escape even sophisticated electronic scanning. I hate it. It's so gross. I mean, I, I love yeah. it, but it's it's so nasty. Oh, God. Yeah, so nasty.
1: Yeah, yeah like, there was one of those things where, like, I couldn't believe it was going there and doing that. Yeah. But it was
0: oh so it's so wild like there's some unnecessary cheesecake um in black widow she's like i guess i have to rip up my costume and it's just like gives george Perez a chance to draw black widow in essentially a bathing suit beating the crap out of everybody by the end of it saving the day being awesome
1: yeah yeah yeah
0: it wraps up sort of you know as you kind of expect and you hope it to it's it's a very self-contained story but this was cool. I'm glad we went down this route to to talk about this one.
1: And it's kind of fun. Like, you know, we, we have the whole conversation about the Black Widow story and everything like that. But from a Marvel fanfare story, I think it's pretty cool, actually, that this issue, this story ends in this issue. And then literally we go straight into a Warriors 3 story the page after. I actually think that's kind of awesome because it doesn't dwell it doesn't put itself on a pedestal in a way that it kind of would be right to um it just says boom there's that story boom we're into another one uh and you just go and you get something entirely different but i kind of really respect that choice
0: oh totally there's like uh we got like seven more pages what do you want to do get charles vest to draw something beautiful starring as guardians (laughs) okay great let's do it it's yeah These issues are great. Read all 26 issues of Marvel Fanfare on Marvel Unlimited if you get the chance. I mean, you probably got the time right now. Do it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You know, I was thinking this at the top of the episode is I kind of think it's cool that not every issue of Marvel Fanfare is up on MBU just yet. And this is actually a question that the writer of the original article that this all came out of you know asked me he's like hey do you know why there aren't every single issue and it's just I just told him it's just like man that's just a time thing like there are only so many people that can that can go through the library and, and get so many issues and, and put them up so it's just it's not a matter of priority or anything it's just like there are so many comics that that need to be put up so all that aside I kind of I kind of get a little bit of a buzz off of like going through and finding just these these issues it feels like treasure hunting in a way and that has been one of the most fun aspects of reading marvel fanfare it has all of this history in there it has even kind of deeper creator history in terms of all the george perez stuff that we talked about uh and then you dig into these little awesome stories that are just you know tucked away in in the mu library back there and You know, there's just so much to be discussed and to analyze and to talk about. And it's it's really awesome.
0: Okay. I... All of that is true. I'm going through the issues that we don't have. 16 has a Submariner story drawn by Mike Mignola, (laughs) which I've never read. 18 is a Captain America issue by Roger Stern and Frank Miller. What is going on? Why... Why is okay. this not, like, why do all these Calm issues... Calm down. <laughs> Relax. <laughs> I'm like, come on. I'm going to call up Jen Grunwald, <laughs> who's on our collections team, and be like, Jen, what the hell are all of you doing? Um, there's a Jim Star... Oh, right, this Jim Starlin issue with uh, The Thing. That's issue number 20. I remember seeing that cover as a kid. It's bonkers. Um, he does two issues back-to-back in 20 and 21. Yeah, Marvel Fanfare may be the series that I start whenever we're back going to comic convention stuff again i may start going through old back issue bins and starting to dig out some of these because they're beautiful
1: yeah it's like hidden gems within hidden gems like the series as a whole is kind of meant to be that but then like as you dig even further in you see all those like that mignola submariner story is like i need that i need that in my life
0: uh issue 30 is this beautiful brent uh eric anderson moon knight cover uh, with the story by Ann Nocenti and uh, Brent Anderson. Sorry, Jorge is like, come back, come back, come back. Yeah, I, I'm getting, <laughs> I'm going down a dangerous route here. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Okay. So while we won't have all of these issues on Marvel Unlimited, there are plenty there for you to dig into. And if you want to get a collection of this that includes the story and a bunch of other Black Widow stories, there's a Black Widow Web of Intrigue collection, uh, which has some uh, background by Ralph Macchio and plenty more it might be available somewhere i know it's on the marvel comics app um with you can get it from from us uh digitally right now if not from your local comic shop
1: and hey one final plug for uh this great article that started at all it's the most underrated marvel comic of the 1980s written by blair marnell it's on marvel.com right now heck yeah uh, there's
0: also new issues added to Marvel Unlimited this week. Uh, we're going to have the whole list on our show notes and on Marvel.com. wanted to point out Absolute Carnage, number four, the penultimate issue, along with a bunch of Absolute Carnage tie-ins, uh, History of the Marvel Universe, number four, which is perfection. Um, there is the first issue of the current dawn of x run of x-men so x-men number one by jonathan hickman and laniel francis Yu. so the dawn of x now kicking off into marvel unlimited Uh, i will say the first issue of x-men is not my favorite of the series but it's it it gets you into the direction of what all the x books are going to be from now on and it's pretty cool plus i gotta give a major shout to uh the classics that we added this week five issues of the 1980s super hit top dog
1: Tucker, do you know what Top Dog is? I have absolutely no idea. Is, there, is this, this sounds like something where it's like there's nothing in the rule book that says a dog can't join the Avengers or something? I don't know. What is this?
0: Top, <laughs> Top Dog was from our Star Comics line, which were the um, kids' comics of the 1980s. So Star Comics had Top Dog and, um, you know, a bunch of like heroes and, and kid friendly books. Uh this this one has a Spider-Man issue, I believe. There's an evil robot, there's an evil version of Top Dog in one of these. I think he's called like Bad Dog or Naughty Dog or something like that. But the last issue of the run, issue 14, is the saddest cover of the bunch and it's like Top Dog don't go and it's Top Dog with like uh a bindle on his like over his shoulder leaving his his child friend behind. It is Tremendous! If you've got a kid and you want to give him something super, like, friendly, it's just like, here, read some comics about a dog who's talking. Go for it. Top Dog is your jam. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's so cool. Yep. I can't wait to talk about Top Dog on our video version.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know it. This episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by Ryan Panagos, Tucker Marcus, Jorge Estrada, and M.R. Daniel Our audio development manager is Lauren Wiener. Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. And, oh yeah, you know, we got to shout him out. Brad Barton, he's the keeper of the elusive, never-been-released Marvel Fanfare issue number 61. It is uh, also hand-drawn and colored with rayons, uh, and it's uh, on the fridge at his house. Brad!
0: Of course, that ain't true. I don't want people thinking there's an issue 61, but, Tucker, (laughs) one last little tidbit from an issue of Marvel Fanfare we don't have on Unlimited. Can you guess what the story title of issue number 60 is? It's a Black Panther story.
1: Is it also
0: Top Dog Don't Go? (laughs) No, it is, quote, (laughs) Big Applesauce. Oh, come on. It's by Walt Simonson and Dennis Cowan. Wow. (laughs) Oh, ay, yeah, yeah. ay, <laughs> All right, I gotta go. I gotta figure out how to buy all these hey, issues. Awesome. Uh, we'll be back with another episode next week. I'm Ryan. And I'm Tucker. And this is Marvel.
1: You're yours.